I think this is an appropriate opening song for our special guest, Mark Meek. It's classy. I appreciate that. You just need like a little cognac. A little uh, cabossier. <laughs> little swirl. We should have wore our Velvor blazers today. I know. The lounge theme. It's all good, man. It's great <laughs> to be back. I appreciate the invite. Well, it's always special when we have Mark Meek. Special, special guest, guys. So... You are either watching or listening to MLO. I am your host, Addy Nett. And as I mentioned, we do have financial advisor, Mark Meek. Mark, say what up to everybody. How's it going? Good to be back. Excited to be here. And this is big because we don't get Mark every time. He's super busy. But I personally do a lot of business with Mark and he is uh, my financial advisor. And why don't you just roll into who you are real quick? You know, your little sprinkles of professional intros. Yeah, actually, that that wouldn't be a bad uh at least idea. let them know how legit you are. I, oh, I appreciate that. Well, couple um, couple credentials, I guess. I uh, just a little bit of background. Went to Willamette University out in Salem. Studied economics out there. Uh, went right into business school. Got my MBA with a focus in finance, and then immediately uh, didn't waste any time. Uh, got a contract with Northwestern Mutual as an intern, and basically from there started growing my practice and just up in the credentials sense that how many clients what's the client list like from account oh man you know <laughs> it's uh we're probably close to 450 at this point that uh That's it's some capacity we're working with but as you know uh, it's not possible to do that on your own so we've got you team. know grown our team we've got nikki and travis and Polly, a lot of phenomenal people uh, to make sure that everyone we're working with is continuing to get service. Yeah, I love your your guys's team, and it's really similar to uh, really my mortgage business in the sense that we're backed by a very reputable national company, so a lot of power and efficiency from that point. But then the hometown feel, where it's like you know, really close yep. people that are all in this group. So it's I love that business model where you're backed by stability. Yeah. But then you also have the hometown feel of local team members that are supporting you and getting the job done. So, yeah. And actually, you bring up a really good point that I don't even know if we've talked about before. Is it okay if I steal the just go the airtime for like two minutes? Because, yeah. you know, a lot of people, especially nowadays, which candidly I'm a fan of, are really critical about working with advisors, right? Mm -hmm. They grill us as they should, right? I think it's uh, important. But one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is just the different types of advisors that are out there. Right. And so, you know, if you really think about it, you know, think about Wells Fargo, you know, mm -hmm. and by the way, as I go through this, anyone who's an advisor in any of these lenses, there's not a bad advisor. Don't right? take it personally. Yeah, don't take it personally. Um, <laughs> you know, all of these models work differently for different people. But so you got the bank, right? Big bank advisors, big wirehouses, big brokerage firms where the advisor isn't really the owner of that book of business, right? What they are is they're a W-2 employee mm -hmm. that's working for that brokerage firm to yep. manage and control those accounts. But the kind of the disincentive is that that advisor doesn't own that book of business, so they don't have as much buy-in when it really comes down to the clientele. The timing on that's so perfect because that's what was our last podcast episode was talking about the difference in the mortgage world of big banks. There we go. Versus direct. But say so you're hitting home. But what people do like about those big banks is the amount of regulation and compliance that's associated with them. Right. So 
you don't necessarily have that, I guess, as much of a personal relationship with the advisor, mm -hmm. but people like having the, that corporate giant backing them that, you know, if something weird happens, if right. that advisor does something, we'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Then there's the independent advisor, kind of the boutique advisor that is not associated with a big bank. But so their kind of appeal is like, hey, we're boutique, right? It's just our team here, right? We don't have 10,000 clients to serve. You know, you get more of our time, et cetera, yeah. uh, which a lot of people like. And candidly, especially the more wealthy clients really want and expect that type of service. But, and again, no offense to anyone out there, but this is where the lack of compliance and oversight can make people a little bit nervous, right? And this is exactly kind of the Bernie Madoff situation. Mm -hmm. um, so, so some people kind of gravitate towards that direction. So for me, I chose to be a hybrid. So there's a lot of advisors that are choosing that hybrid route where you get to own your own practice, your own book in a boutique style firm where you're calling the shots but you've got the compliance regulation and oversight of that corporate giant backing you. Yeah. Uh, I like that hybrid example. And I'm glad you broke that down because there are a lot of similar parallels between the mortgage industry using broker, big bank, direct lender, Yep. which we just, as I mentioned, dove into in our most recent episode. And a lot of our social media on the MLO show, Instagram page, as well as the Net Instagram page, a lot of our video shorts are talking about that as of late. So super good timing. But just to put a little framework to today, the reason why we're all coming together is um, we really want to talk about budgeting before and after you buy a home. Because we all know right now, if you're listening to this episode live, 2020, sorry, 2021 has been super competitive. And this is nationally, not just in our neck of the woods, Pacific Northwest. People are having a hard time getting into contract. Supply is way up and, or sorry, supply is way down and demand is way up. So even in Arkansas, Missouri, everywhere, all man. my clients internet or nationally are it's experiencing tough. not as crazy as Portland, but in, you know, similar scales. Well, I just don't think. I mean, we might have a little bit of leveling off, but I, I think that it still is a problem of just we don't have enough houses, uh, incomes are going up, inflation is continuing, and we're getting back to normal. So the signs are in the next two to four years, we're really not going to see any sort of huge change in where we're at in the real estate market. So long-windedly to pull that back, what do we do with our money? How do we prepare before? How do we prepare? prepare if we actually do get an accepted offer from a financial standpoint. Cause I really do take people home. No pun intended <laughs> and get them closed. But the minute you have your keys and it's not personal, I'm always here if you reach out to me, but I'm not checking in every week, man. I've got a whole nother list of, you know, T ballers up to bat ready to hit home runs with me. Yeah. But let's go in Mark talk. Do you want to talk about after you close and budgeting things or before I like the after, cause I think that's a big hit home. What's yep. on top of mind for you, some of the biggest mistakes and maybe let's give some stories too. Yeah. So, you know, as we were talking earlier, I would say, and I've been on this show talking about yeah. kind of my core belief that an emergency fund is critical. And just for anyone out there that may want a little bit more context, kind of the rule of thumb, it's different for everyone. But if you're a single person or you've, you're married with no kids, mm -hmm. typically you want to have no less than three months worth of your overhead expenses just in a bank account 
at all times. And guys, when he says three months, really take note. That's three months of your overhead costs. So including your mortgage payment, your bills, your your student loan payments, your auto loans. Make sure if you if you really unfortunately had an accident and weren't driving in any income, you can survive three months without a real hit, right, Mark? Correct. Okay, cool. I just want to because we don't talk about the financial stuff very often. Yep. So I want to make sure that everyone is very clear on three months reserves. It's the whole overhead, not just your mortgage payment. Yep. And you know, honestly, if if you only have one partner that works. Or if you have kids, then it's appropriate to bring it all the way up to six months. Okay. You know, it's kind of that three to six months. And a lot of people have problems with the emergency fund because it's in a really low yielding interest rate account. Yeah. Um, but I always remind people, right, that's not the job. That's not his job duty. His job duty is to be there as a liquid safety net that you don't have any trouble accessing mm-hmm. for emergency or opportunity. I just cracked a coke zero by the way i know it sounded really cool on the microphone but um so that's that's kind of the emergency fund and and fun fact for you okay um and i i think we've talked about this before but uh any idea why the three months is kind of that key um i'm gonna assume it's a percentage of the average gross income that you usually make in budgeting that's that's part of it okay the big factor, though, is that most people who have a group benefits package through work have a long-term disability benefit that kicks in after that third month. Oh, that's that's a really good, really good point. So the three months, if if you lost your job or if you were just dis- disabled, sorry, yep. not lost your job, but if you're disabled, that would kick in at three months. So if you had a serious issue then I would usually be able to process a claim and be getting supplemental income from that insurance policy. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's a, is a fun fact. Fun fact. So anyone listening right now, double check and make sure if you have this enrolled. Understand work, those benefits. Yep. Make sure that box is checked and, you know, talk to your HR director if you have any questions on if it would be relevant or not for you to have. Well, and that was a big play and not to get too far off when I was personally refinancing our primary residence, I was really stuck on either doing a 15 year or 30 year mortgage, which is almost double the payment. I remember and talking I, about this. And I ended up like doing the math. A lot of it was really, really close. And I went the 30 year paying extra toward the principal, which almost accelerated to the same payoff schedule of 15 years. So slightly higher interest rate, but my minimum payment was much lower. And yeah, I might be paying more in interest just ever so slightly over the life of the loan. But the biggest kicker for me was that it would cost me more to have additional disability insurance to cover that max, max higher payment on the 15 year than it would to just pay the extra interest. It's and that crazy. was the kicker for me because a lot of people get hung up. We'll do a 15 to 30 year episode on another date, but let's go into how you're talking with people on household budget, because on the mortgage side, we don't qualify off of what your cell phone bill is, what the, what the uh, electricity or the gas, we are just principal interest taxes and insurance, which is referred to as PITI in the acronym world. And that's what we usually qualify people on for most loan products. So when you're going through your first initial step with someone, right? Sure. Like we even do role play, whatever. We go through, what are you talking about the overhead and how are you advising people to budget their monthly gross income or net income? 
Yep. And uh, this might be a throwback from the COVID episode that we had. Okay. But it's been a while. So, you know, just talking about budgeting in general, mm-hmm. right? Just to break it down, I call it the 20-60-20 principle because mm-hmm. I'm not very creative and it's based on percentages of your income. Yeah. So the way we look at it is that out of your income, net income specifically, if we're focusing on the budget for a house, you know, what's after, what's actually going in your pocket yeah. after... Uncle Sam, 401k contributions or health insurance, all those pre-tax deductions. With what's left over, we want to make sure that it doesn't cost you more than 60% of that income to just operate, to have fixed Uh expenses. And fixed expenses is the mortgage, all Uh that wrapped in that you just talked about, groceries, utilities, car payment, phone bill, you know, all the stuff that isn't very glamorous, but you know, no matter what, Every single month, you're going to have to pay. Yeah. So as we're helping people right-size, and I think you do a fantastic job of this when I send clients your way and know like, hey, here's my monthly mark. Here's what I'm qualified up to. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some instances where I say, hey, that's great. Why don't we look at that as the percentage of your income with that new mortgage yep. and make sure that we're in, when we're in that house, we're not sacrificing any of your other fixed expenses yep. or going over that 60% watermark, because if you start to spend more than 60% of your income just to survive, yeah, it really limits the capacity you can to save and have flexible discretionary income to It's buy more things. stressful too, man. Like living like that, you just have, especially people like you and I, where we're not base salary. No. <laughs> we're performance paid, right? We're PPers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... And sometimes money comes in later than expected and you need to be able to ride that wave and keeping that overhead, this might sound really simplistic, but keeping that overhead down is, is nice. And the stress, you can't go buy stress relief that is guaranteed to work, but you can keep your budget down, which can reduce anxiety. Exactly. And we have tough conversations, right? Of like, Hey, you know, you have this, uh, you know, prime example and this pains me, but a person had a golf club membership, right? That was costing about $800 a month. Tempting. And when I was talking to this person, I was like, hey man, like, trust me, I, I enjoy it. I have a membership. Um, but uh, some of the frustrating parts for me personally, I was kind of opening up to him is, especially during the winter months, we don't use it that often. And, you know, he basically said, hey man, I, I haven't been in like two years. He's like, I just like going because my wife likes going to the pool sometimes and my kids like having, you know, pasta night. Right. So I'm like, okay. Well, um, if you, you know, kind of looking at the whole piece of like, if you can cut that expense down and then just, if you want to go golf, spend a couple hundred bucks here or there with the flexibility, then I have zero heartburn about just replacing that cost with your new upgraded mortgage. Right. So a lot of times it's really just a factor of like, before we even talk about saving, investing vacation, like we got to focus on the overhead and make sure that's comfortable. So just to recap that overhead, 60% was it, did you say pre-tax or post-tax? Post-tax. Okay. So if I'm taking home, my house is taking home, say $10,000 after everything, I don't want my overhead to exceed 60%, which would be 6K per month, correct? Yep. Um, We're on the same page. Okay. I think one of the things that's really big too with that is working with someone like myself who goes above and beyond just telling you, hey, you're approved for X amount, which is what you get from most mortgage people, unfortunately. You're good to like 1.5. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to buy a 1.5 house, but thanks for the pre-approval letter. 
what we do is break down, and you've seen them, Mark, is the tier levels. So let's take I a have. look at four, four fifty, five, six, and six fifty. So you can see what that monthly payment to the best estimate possible will be and fit into that sixty percent. Super, super important. And my only quick takeaway too on the mortgage side, note this, because this is big for budgeting, ten grand. $10,000, whether an additional down payment or increased budget. So if I went from a $500,000 house to a 510, okay. right, would really only move the needle on a 30 year, which is the most common mortgage by $50 a month. Can you say that again? You said $10,000 only moves your payment on a 30 year about $50 a month. I'm going to have to rewatch this episode. That's nothing. Cause a lot of people are like, oh, well I, they either get payment stuck where they're like, I really need this down like $300. And I tell them that takeaway, well, reduce your budget by $10,000 and it only moves at 50 bucks. We're not even close. So don't think that like, oh, if I just save forever, I'm gonna get that payment down, 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 down. You're not gonna be able to keep up with appreciation levels. Cause exactly. if you save an extra 10K, Amen, your payment only saves $50 a month. And now that home's appreciated 11.5% and you're, also have had that savings in a standard low yielding savings account yep. and you've actually reduced your dollar earned down to maybe 70 cents this is when you just have to look at people sometimes and say do you believe in math i mean if you do you know you know you know you got to let the interest rates drive your decisions and to be to pull it back oh i want to give some perspective because you know my wife and i we just listed our first ever home which has been a rental now and it's in contract we were talking about mm -hmm. that and I remember when we bought that place, it was $208,000. This wow. was five years ago, just over five years ago. That wasn't really that long ago. Wasn't that long ago, 208 condo. And I remember standing in that parking lot and we were like, this was before I was even in a mortgage. Man, we're in over our heads. Like, can we afford this? Are we buying at the wrong time? Is this like, there's people out there who still think that. They really are. So I want to be careful and respectful of that point of view that we were in just half a decade ago, that you will feel like that at any point buying a home. It doesn't matter. Now I've bought that one. I've done another primary. I had a fail sale on another one. I helped my sister and my mother buy a house and co-signed on that. I've done a, two refinances on different properties. I'm not just making this up. Yeah. I've done a lot of personal mortgages, not to mention over 300 transactions myself in my business, right? I have that feeling on every single one. The doubt. Yep. You're going to feel that regardless. It's there, human nature. There's no supplement or vitamin you can take to not have that feeling. It's just a matter if it's going to last for weeks or for hours, depending on your experience. Yeah, honestly, in my opinion, and again, in my opinion, any financial move that doesn't give you a little bit of anxiety or doubt means it's not aggressive enough. I it's kind of like golf and sports. If you're not nervous on the first tee, you don't care. Exactly. If you don't have anxiety over something, just even for 10 seconds or 10 minutes or 10 days, you're probably not looking at it right. You're yeah, being that, impulsive. That's what CDs are for, is for people that can't handle that, you know? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with CDs to any of my banker listeners here. I love all of you, but... 
I mean, I don't even have DVDs, let alone CDs. There that was go. a horrible financial joke. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, half of the generation listening may not even know what the heck we're talking about. So let's go, right. Let's go back, though, because we've got about 10 minutes here, a little sure. less. So 60% is that nugget takeaway. When you're budgeting post-tax, are we fitting the new proposed mortgage payment plus all of your budgets into that 60% bracket? Real quick, hit me on what do we do with the other 40? Real quick, Mark. Yeah, real quick, 20% of it is kind of that baseline where I want my clients to put it towards a financial goal. So some sort of financial goal that's going to move the needle to where they want to be, Mm -hmm. whether it's retirement planning, saving for a down payment on a house, Mm -hmm. eliminating consumer debt, you know, anything that's strategic that once those goals are completed, you can then, yeah, you can reallocate those towards more exciting goals. So I think 20% is really that good measure. You know, we've got some people that are overachievers that like to do 30. Some people kind of working their way up. Yep. But uh, the last piece, the the remaining 20%, I think this is critical. People are too hard on themselves sometimes. I think you should spend 20% of your income on discretionary, whatever the heck you want to do. This was a huge thing, and I don't want to marinate in this too long for time's sake, but that was a huge thing that hit home for me years ago when I started working with you because – I'm just that type of person that's going to grind it out and get it done. And like all I'll eat quesadillas and refried beans until I hit my goals. I know. <laughs> but that discretionary budget is huge for a lot of like really unforeseen benefits. One being like, hey, connecting with your spouse or self-care time, going on a trip, doing a VRBO, like a little two-day weekend or a one vacation per year type of thing um, really helps your mental capacity, which helps you perform better on your number one priority from a financial standpoint, which is driving home income. Because none of this is manageable if you're not making money. And if you're not making money well, efficiently and exciting like you're just exhausted you're not gonna you're not gonna last you're gonna burn out so that's actually a really good reframe if you can tell yourself hey even an, an easier one mark having fresh clothes a lot of people feel really confident when what they're wearing is new or they like it and it lasts and it's not it gives them confidence which drives home more income which everything starts with the income mark right 100% 100% agree. 100% agree. It's huge. Yep. So that that's kind of the that general rule of thumb that we're going off, right? 20, 60, 20. Yeah. And again, okay, like there's that. always going to be seasons. December, most of the time, most of the money's going towards presents. They're not saving as much. Yeah. Tax time, mm-hmm. a lot of people are trying to be responsible and save. So, you know, that's I, I want to be realistic with my clients. We're all humans. It's never going to be perfect. But if we can use that as the ideal framework, mm-hmm. It's going to be almost impossible. And it's not always going to fit for first-time homebuyers. You might be early and, and stretching a little bit, and perhaps you've got a plan where you're you're going to house hack. You're going to have people come in that are going to rent rooms from you. So there would be some different algorithms to the budgeting if you had renters. Because I don't want to disclude the young 20-something who's you know, just getting out, maybe they have higher student loan debt, but they can qualify. They can't fit the 60%. And there would be extenuating circumstances for some people that have a different plan. Yeah. But that's beautiful, right? Cause then you just take that person's leftover net. Yep. That's their new 60% More threshold. Yep. And you know, even if, you know, they, they go, maybe it's not their dream house, but they want to maybe rent it mm-hmm. after a couple of years when they upgrade then, you know, hey, maybe in 70% is okay. Maybe you can leverage yourself a little bit yep. more because 
I would argue that that is going towards a financial goal that's going to turn into a revenue producer yep. down the road. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to be logical. Yeah. Right. You know, I don't want anyone to be super rigid about it. You just got to be logical about when you can bend those rules a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, I'm glad that you resurfaced that and gave us a little more clarity. And with just a few minutes remaining here, hit me with the retirement, the 401k employer match. Because I feel like we've had this conversation. A lot of people throttle back saving on retirement to build up their liquid savings to get into a house, make a move in real estate. But then they get out of the habit and never re-engage on saving for 401 or other savings plans. Could you hit me with your perspective on that? Absolutely. And I'm I'm glad you asked that too, because same exact lens of like, hey, we've got rules of thumb, but you never want to be so rigid. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess at the end of the day, retirement's one of those things that's so far down the road that it's really hard to want to spend money on it right now. Uh, Luckily, we get some tax deductions for most of the employer-sponsored plans and whatnot. But what happens a lot is that people get into the house, maybe their mortgage goes up by a little bit, and just out of the gate, because they think they're going to get their raise or their bonuses, they're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to scale back. I'll be okay. You know, my rule of thumb with that is like, hey, I get that. But if you scale back to less contribution that's going to allow you to get a match, you know, you don't want to do that because you're leaving free money on the table. Absolutely. But what ends up happening, right, is that once they get into that house that they love, they're starting to get accustomed to that lifestyle, they get that raise. Sometimes they don't then go back up and say, hey, I want to adjust my percentage now. They say, oh, you know what? That garage would look really good if there was a Porsche. Or you know what? That I could I could see myself uh, adding an addition here and maybe it doesn't add a lot of value, but I'd like, you know, and, and it just becomes kind of a, a trap. I love that. And go back to that $10,000 to f- uh, $10,000 in buying power, $50 a month payment. I had a great conversation with a client just a bit ago explaining like, look, well, you chose this auto loan, right? You chose this car, which the payment was $400 a month. If you would have had a $350 a month payment, reduced your budget, you would increase your buying power by $10,000 as a home buyer. That's think crazy about to think that. about, man. Honestly, 20 I didn't K even know. in buying power for every hundred dollars you spend on an auto loan per month, <laughs> 20 wow. grand. So $300 freaking auto payment. That's, that's $80,000 two for $60,000 in buying power. But what, what ends not, up happening though, is that people have the best intentions, but I'm probably going to screw up this analogy, but isn't it like the, the frog that sits in warm enough water, he ends up getting boiled just over time. Yeah, you don't feel it. Yeah. Like they just, you'll yeah. turn around and be like, Oh my, is that really my credit card statement? Oh yeah. My retirement account's not growing the amount it's used to like, Oh, you know, and most people can correct course. Oh, totally. And I think the, the analogy really is just building positive habits that are working for you in the long run, because just as easy it is to acclimate and get used to an upgrade in lifestyle, it is just as easy to get used to having less. Going back to the 401, if you just have it and it automatically comes out of your paycheck, it's amazing what the human brain does and just adjusts. Well, this is what I have. But if you have to sit there and make a decision and push a button every month, Never would you do it? Happen. Not. You're going to justify me. out. Even me, dude. Even All even humans. <laughs> I mean, I go through the same stuff when I do the mortgage. I'm like, well, this, that, that, that. It, But this is why you work with someone like Mark as an advisor to gear you toward the right direction and really be an objective 
um, advisor, right, Mark? Exactly. And I would encourage anyone to talk to a professional in any of those hybrid lenses, big brokers, just because they're going to give you perspective mathematically, just like Addison did to where you can understand it. And it's just helpful to have a professional expertise to to go off of. Absolutely. And I just want to open it up for anyone, even if you just closed, like reach out to us on that VIP hotline. I had some great conversations with people just this weekend that are in other states and I was able to help them and uh, discuss like, hey, here's what's next on the table, guys. And we talked a lot about home condition, like uh, are we going to need to repair the roof or replace air conditioning? These are all budgeting stuff. And this is stuff that Mark's an expert on putting together. So if we can help you and introduce you in any fashion, please utilize that VIP number, which is 503-847-9038. Please do not hesitate to reach out. If we don't pick up right away, we'll hit you back as soon as possible. And as we're coming in for a landing here, Mark, give your thanks and how they can reach you out real quick. And uh, let's conclude. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing. I love fielding random questions. Actually, I've gotten some good calls just from this show uh, and it's been fun. So yeah, go ahead and uh, check out our website, www.mark-meek.com. And all of our information is there, the link to get a hold of us. If you want to get a you know, quick phone call with our team or myself, you know, feel free. Always uh, open to meeting new people. I love it. And don't forget social media, guys. Hit us up on IG. We've got the MLO show going and the Addy Net IG. A lot of short form 30 to 60 second educational takeaways and also entertaining, in my opinion. Yeah, look for Meek Financial Group as well. I never promote social media. I'm terrible at it. There so this go. is going to be my uh, my launch point. Yeah, so let's see if we can get some likes. Off. So find us, connect with us, become a part of the community. That's the whole reason why we do this. And just to slide it out, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening or watching to M-L-O. Man, I butchered that slide in, but it's all good. Thank you so much, everyone. I want to thank all the reach outs, all the followers. I want to thank Mark for being on the show here. Absolutely. Hopefully we had some value. So until next time, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yeah, we'll catch you later. Thanks, everyone.